Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your home for all things strange and unusual, Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And we want to give a big shout out to our listener, James Lang, who gave us a comment on our uh, on our last episode that said, Thanks for answering my question. It's rare that we get paranormal occurrences where professionals are willing to go on the record about their experiences. And absolutely. I mean, if we've ever had an experience with something, you know, we'll, we'll tell you guys about oh, it. Yeah. We'll, we'll always give you guys our honest opinions about it. I mean, we're not just going to placate you guys just because you guys are our listeners <laughs> about it. I mean, we give our real opinions on the paranormal and hope, hopefully you guys enjoy them uh, when we're talking about these sorts of things. So big shout out to you, James. We know that you've been listening for a bit. Um, we always appreciate any comments that anybody leaves on any of our episodes. And here's to you and all of our listeners. What are we drinking today? Today we are drinking Barnes, no, Barn Phantom Ghost Citrus. Yeah, and I did pick this out because it had the word phantom in it. I did. Like, I, Well, first I thought that said Phantom Ghost, like goose, but it's just G-O-S-E. That's weird. I don't know. If, anyway, what, what I really find really funny about this is this is allergy warning. Some ingredients were produced in a facility that uses milk, tree, nuts, peanuts, soy, eggs, and wheat. But nothing about corn. And it's <laughs> why? Pretty, it, it is. It's beer. Why are you reading the label? Be- I was Because I wanted to know more about this because it said that it was produced here in Indiana. And then it just gave this allergy warning. But it doesn't give any... But it says that there was no corn made there. And you you guys have all heard that, that phrase, you know, there's more than corn in Indiana. Yeah, there's beer. Yeah, there's beer, too. There's possibly this citrusy beer. Here. Cheers, guys. Cheers to you guys. Taste this. See what this tastes like. Probably citrusy. That is very citrusy. That is. That is a... That is a summertime beer. This is... This is freaking great. I am all about it. It's like... You're making a face. No, no, but it's like it's like <laughs> beer flavored lemonade. It re- this is way more citrusy than I thought, but I really like because it's really sour. <laughs> I, I think I think I think that if we started a lemonade stand and sold these, we'd make so much money. Like one of the rules he gave me was no sour beers because he doesn't like them. Oh, you tricked and, me! Oh, I didn't know it was gonna be this sour. I thought you, it was just gonna have a hint of citrus. You. I don't cuss before we get... When we get to the Pillow Talk segment, I'm going to cuss you for this. I'm telling you right now. You suck. There's a really good chance you'll forget. You tricked me. Let's get to our comments. Drinking a sour beer jerk. It's really good, though. I I definitely recommend it to you guys. I almost gave this a four-star rating. I'm about to give it a one. No, no. Give it a good rating. It's good. No, no. Actually, it is pretty good. (sighs) Tasty. All right. Uh, going over some comments from our last episode. If you guys missed our last uh, episode, we talked about Dybbuk boxes, which Dybbuk's being the these malicious Jewish demons uh, that kind of wand that kind of wander the world, and people recently have been binding them into essentially jewelry boxes, wine boxes. Well, they say they're wine boxes, but they're kind of looking like jewelry boxes now. <laughs> like you ain't putting no wine in these boxes. People are selling them online, but it's. 
is what it is. But anyway, it's a great episode. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, definitely uh, go and check it out. Uh, Death Knight 28 says, Dybbuk have similar traits to Jin, I would say, but that would make you wonder if they are all connected. Dybbuk, Jin, and Demons. I often wonder that myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said not not to push anyone's buttons, but I strongly believe that the religions are all very connected somehow more than they realize. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. The Abrahamic religions are very, very, very close-knit. And it, actually, you know, the thing about that, to, in today's episode, you're probably going to be seeing a little bit more of that because I found some strong connections uh, between a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today uh, in our last two episodes. So, uh, this is going to be awesome. Creepy California. Super fan. Zach has uh, the box, oh, the famous Divic box on display with a clip of him and Post Malone on display at his museum slash haunted house. And it was okay. The scariest thing is the clowns that that they have to actually scare you. Man, that would be what that would be double terrible. Zach Baggins and clowns. God, I hate clowns. I hate Zach Baggins. <laughs> Jay the Phoenix says, I fully expect the comments to be filled with things like it's a Pokemon, but with evil spirits. Ted that murdered 50 people. I choose you. <laughs> what? I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Me too. That is awesome. I think if a Dybbuk was a Pokemon, it would probably be a dark type. And I, what's their weakness? D- dark ghost. It'd be dark, dark ghost. Dark ghost. And they are, they are uh, weak to Ghostbusters. That's that sounds right. That, that sounds right. Their, that sounds about their weak too. A Jigglypuff would be a, Dybbuk, a Dybbuk's worst, worst nightmare. Uh, Nick Sesbo, the movie The Possession is based around a girl that unleashes a Divic box. I'm hoping the spike in sales of these Divic boxes are uh, was coinciding with the release of this or similar movies. I can't imagine why people would want to unleash these upon the world. I think you're right. I think that movie came out in 2014 or 2016, if I am correct. Looking it up, 2012. Interesting. So the Dybbuk, so that movie actually came out. That that movie came out about I think six years prior to the Dybbuk boxes really being popular on YouTube. Oh, fun fact. Speaking of that, two episodes ago, guys, we talked about the Latoya Amon's house. Uh, recently, uh, one of our uh, listeners was telling uh, that that that's at our work told me about uh, this lady here in St. Petersburg that is selling dirt from the home, like a jar of dirt with nails in it, and a video of them actually going to this home, and she's selling it online for $50. Too much. Too mu- You really think that's too much money? Yeah. You think you could whittle, you could whittle down for demon dirt for, like, what, 20 Like, I really feel like it's really worth more about 20 Like, I would actually consider paying 20 bucks for it but at that, I have better things to spend 20 bucks on. Well, I'm not going to buy a, p- a possibly possessed or a haunted jar of dirt. I think... I don't know. I think I, I think I potentially would. At that point, you're just intentionally bringing something that's unsafe into your home. No, I'm going to put it in your home. Why? why? <laughs> no, 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 no. We buy something like that. It is absolutely coming here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, no, I am not bringing... I, I like how you went from, this shouldn't go in your home, to it's definitely going in your home. No, we're going to buy it. It's going into your house, not into my house. I'm not going to be buying some sort of possessed diet that's going to start making like me like hear like wet footprints going up the stairs in the middle of the night. 
Why don't you wish that on me? And I'm going to scatter real thin everywhere so there's no way you can get it all. I'm going to be... Con oh, God, I'm going to be breathing it in. I'm going to be yeah. bringing in demon dirt. It's going to be grounded your carpet. It's going to uh, be in your AC unit. I'm going to be having, like, a hacking fit or whatever. Is he possessed by a demon? I'm like, no, nah, he's having an asthma attack. Like, that's, that's what's going on with him. I don't understand why people sell these possessed things online. Like, and it's really weird, like, the number of times, like, you've seen in the paranormal where people literally complain about terrible things being in their home. And I'm like, how do you think stuff like that gets there? I think it's when you buy these, like, cur possessed, cursed items. I would buy something if I felt it was legit. Yeah. But doesn't it... Okay. But I don't think any of those Divic boxes no, no, are no. I don't. I don't think it is either. But think about it. Think about this. Like, okay, if you're buying some sort of a evil item and then trading it doesn't that in and of itself create some sort of a malicious intent behind like what's going on like you're trading like in dark items and dark artifacts like doing that like that sounds kind of cool the way you worded it makes it sound cool yeah it sounds cool until one gets out of your house and then you have like a scene from ghostbusters where the twinkie explodes and now there's ghosts and crap all over the city of evansville and whose fault is it Marcus D. and Vic Waitley's fault. I don't want that in the headlines. There are worse things to be known for. Yeah, there are worse things to be known <laughs> for, but I also don't want that. Okay, okay, let's get into this. Get into this. No, no, no. Um, so today, guys, I thought we could talk about possession stories around the world. Because, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners come from the continental United States, and we, I know we have some listeners out there uh, in the U.K., but, you know, possession stories are not just limited to the stuff that you see, like, in The Exorcist or the possession of stuff like that. I mean, there are possession stories all over the world, and every culture has something regarding possessions. And it's so and it's so cool. Like, me, like me, who's, like, a huge lover in the paranormal, I absolutely love studying other cultures' um, aspects of the paranormal, like their folklore surrounding these things i i often have said it for i've said it for years that i think that honestly the paranormal can bind cultures together more than people realize i mean paranormal stories are a part of our culture and in that exchanging of cultures is just it's really cool and it's re and it's really interesting to do i've also always felt that if some paranormal phenomena is cross-cultural that lends a lot of gravity to it that makes it more likely to legitimately be a thing because if a paranormal entity is real, you should see it popping up in multiple cultures. It shouldn't be isolated to just a singular one. Look, I'll give you like I'll give you an example of one that I've been trying a question that I've been trying to get answered for years, and I've never been able to get a fully fleshed out answer on this. I've gotten like some yeses, but like it's a real thought to me. So like when you talk about shadow people, okay, shadow people are phenomenon. People have been reporting seeing them forever, but oftentimes people are reported seeing. Uh, shadow people wearing like hats or hoods so my question has always been is this just a reflection of like the culture of the times so would a place like say like in the middle east or india or places where you see people wearing turbans would you see shadow people with turbans and on and you know if you think about like shadow people that were that wear hoods okay or cowls that they've been described wouldn't a shadow person wearing a turban kind of look like that in a two-dimensional sense or one of the ones that's seen wearing a veil could yeah. easily be one, someone wearing a hijab. Yeah, or something like that. So I've, I've been asking this question forever, and some people have told me yes, but I've never I've never fully been able to get that answer explained, you know, answered by someone who I think that's been from a, from a Middle Eastern country. So any of our listeners that are listening to that, that knows the answer to this, please post that in the comments, because I would love to know. But stuff like that, like one of my favorite uh, cha paranormal channels to watch. 
Mysterious Middle East. I absolutely love it. His stuff that he posts, he posts tons of content about paranormal stories off from Middle East, like Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Yemen, and all these sorts of things. And you just see a plethora of different types of stories that come from out from the region. Next time I get a few days off, I'm going to check out his channel because as much as you talk about it, I really I should do. take a look at it. I do. I absolutely, I'm absolutely fascinated by other cultures, paranormal stories. And any time that, that you know that you guys are out there, you guys should definitely, definitely check some of these out because it, 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 it can open you to these, these tons of new stories and phenomenons that you've never even heard of. And then at the same time, phenomenons that you have heard of to show that there are things that are just straight cross-cultural. Okay, I gotta ask a question real quick. Sure. Are you wearing a Rise of the Sky or a Rise of Skywalker T-shirt? In my defense, I was gonna say, didn't you hate that movie? I did hate the Rise of the Skywalker movie. In my defense, my wife bought this for me. So I just noticed that. Had to ask. Okay, my what? You're still wearing work pants. I am still wearing work pants because I just came you're from work. Scrub pants while we're recording this episode. Yeah, we did. We just got back from work to record. They're this new episode. scrub pants. They're comfy. I don't want to be in work clothes longer than I have to. <laughs> Get on me. Okay. Do we want to start in the Middle East or do we want to start in India? Okay, um, let's let's start in India because okay. I'm I I love learning and I love reacting to this to the weird stuff that you bring up. Okay, India is a really big country when it comes to exorcisms and exorcists. It's very common. Um, a lot of traveling exorcists even go into small communities. A lot of people say they're exploiting them. Some people say that they're helping. Uh, from one of the documentaries I watched on the subject, what, it, I pulled a, a quote I really liked. It's that people who don't suffer from them disbelieve them. It's people who have experienced them know that they're true. And this documentary went very much heavily into the culture and things surrounding exorcism and possession in the Middle East. But that's so or true. Or not the Middle East, in India. But no, that's so true. That's that's true like, almost about everything in the paranormal. Like, people that have never had a paranormal experience are so easy to just disbelieve people that have had paranormal encounters. But if you've ever had something totally strange and totally unexpected happen to you, like, like you know, like, you're in the know, like, and... Not even what, and once you're in the know, once you've had it happen to you, it continues to happen to you even more. So, due to the diversity of beliefs in India, there is a bit of a discussion on when someone is possessed. What is it possessed by? The general belief is there are three things that can nor, norm, uh, under normal conditions can possess you. It is either spirits of the earth and wind, it is spirits of the dead, or it is demons. We're not talking about the Judeo-Christian sense of demons, but if you're thinking along those lines, you're getting fairly close. Um, so now, are you so you're telling me that in India you have to be worried about being possessed by animistic, animistic spirits, the dead, like actual ghosts and legit demons? Yeah, but those those the beliefs exist in other places too, like say. Um, here in North America, we definitely have a belief that ghosts can possess you. That is something that is in our zeitgeist. We also have a belief that demons can possess you. Uh, we're not really much of an animistic culture, so we don't really talk much about those. But anyone who believes in, like, say, the Wendigo, the, like, the way a Wendigo works is the spirit possesses someone who has given in to... Uh, the temptation of cannibalism, and that's where that comes from. Oh. There's actually kind of, you can break the window into two separate monsters. There is the actual animistic spirit, and then there's the person who's possessed and corrupted by what they've done. Mm. So, but 
many people do believe that they are demons. I just wanted to clarify that in India, there are other beliefs. One of the common ways that these possessions occur, particularly in women, is walking in the wilderness by yourself, which is interesting because there's a few points in the Bible where it talks about demons being in the wilderness. And I thought that was an interesting connection. Mm -hmm. So the person walking alone in the wilderness, they're overcome by a sense of foreboding. Then over the next few weeks, months, years, depending on the person, they'll start developing both mental and physical maladies, often coinciding in things like lumps or bizarre behaviors. This, this, I just had this weird thought. So, like, you can get so women can get possessed by these demons just wandering in the woods. Yeah, I mean, males can get possessed too, but it seems like the wandering the woods main or means of being possessed is more common for women. So probably in Tinder, like women in India, like their Tinder profiles. If you see the like, if you see the phrase "likes to take long walks," uh, like in the woods. That's a, that's a that's how you, not go. That's yeah, that's, a, leave that's there you go. That's how you know that that's a crazy chick right there. Like, no, we're not gonna have that. Too much baggage. In India, there's also these kind of communes that people go when they believe that they're possessed, and they can often house tons and tons and tons of people. I saw pictures of these where there's just it, there's just people everywhere. Some of them are chains, like chained to the ground. Like one guy felt that it was like slowly taking over him each night, and he actually had himself staked and chained to the ground. So because he felt like the next night he wouldn't be able to fight it oh off my anymore. God. <laughs> I saw that I saw the same thing too when I was looking into possession stories like in northern Africa and the Middle East. It seems to be something in in the east where there are these these communes while they're there they call them cults over there. They don't call them you're being very nice with the word you were using there. They they just start call them cults of people that like come together that live in these cults of people that have been that have been possessed by uh, by things out of that region. And one of the things very common there are traveling holy men that like Come to your village. It's almost like a doctor making a house call. <laughs> Bring out your possessed. Ding, 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 ding. Bring out your possessed. And there are several temples that are dedicated to being like, they're like meccas for the possessed. Mm -hmm. it, where it's like everyone knows that this is the big thing that temple does. Many of them are actually on the Ganges River. Because mm -hmm. this is considered to be an extremely holy place. And oh, rivers yeah. are associated with cleansing. Um, the process that begins... Some of the forms of exorcism they have, there's a, there's a few different ones, but one of the more formal ones that's done by priests, it starts out with the priest and his disciples, assistants, however you want to translate the word, will first go down and wash themselves, which I've noticed occurs in many forms of exorcism. And like, it's even mentioned in the Key of Solomon that before you enact a spell in the Key of Solomon, you must bathe, you must be physically clean. Do you think that's like a... That's like a form of like a sympathetic magic that pops up. Like if you're going to try to cleanse, you, like if you're going to try to cleanse some sort of spirit, you have to cleanse yourself. I'm torn on this one. I think it's either, I think it's either one thing, another, or a combination of both. I think it's either what you just said, where the act of physically cleaning yourself is symbolic of spiritually cleaning yourself. But also so many major holy events across many different religions occur when someone's in a river. Like many of the great Taoist texts were written like because someone was bathing in a river and then just had this revelation. Um, the Zoroastrian religion occurred when um, uh, I think it was Zoroaster was down in the river. He was a priest of a, a previous religion. And mm -hmm. while he's down there, he has this religious experience and he creates a Zoroastrian religion. It seems like rivers are just kind of the place to be for that sort of thing. 
Well, most most cultures and stuff they they propped up on rivers and things like that, so mm-hmm. it's probably going to be an integral part of their culture, stuff like that. I've always really liked the symbolism of rivers, mm-hmm. but okay. So first they go oh, down. Uh, oh no, I had another question. Oh yeah, go ahead. Do, so you said that the the actual like pre shaman or whatever that's going to do the exorcism cleanse themselves. Do you see the same thing with the possessed person? Like they themselves are clean too, like I, in the river. I have seen that in other religions. I have not. It was not specifically mentioned in this rite. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, they'll then go and meet with the, pode- the possessed that is seeking release. And the first thing they'll do is they'll play music and they'll lull the possessed into a trance-like state. Basically, they play music, they incite prayers, they burn incense. And it seemed that the person just kind of started rocking and then started losing control of their cells while they're rocking. Uh, and they said that that is what specifically they're looking for. The point where the person and the spirit have lost control of the body. And that's mm-hmm. when the entity becomes malleable. That's when you can actually work on the entity. Okay. And w- there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, uh, importance placed on specific type of music and stuff too. When we talked about didics in the last episode too, because that was one thing that Jewish rabbis had to do is they had to play a specific pitch in order to try to get a reaction out of the didic as well. I thought you might've mentioned that. So I looked somewhat into it. The only thing... It was hard to get a lot of this information because of translation and language barriers. Mm-hmm. But from what I can gather, it needs to be religious, rhythmic music. Oh, yeah. Is what, what was the takeaway I got from well, it. A lot of these rituals, I mean, they go back hundreds of years, probably, and stuff like that. So if you're thinking about, like, how, like, medicine was back in the day, they didn't have, like, MRI machines back in the day. They didn't have blood draws that you could do for people to run all these tests they probably had to create some sort of like litmus test to see if somebody was legit possessed like how else are you going to do that to write it off that it's not some sort of other um, medical cause the next step is along the lines of somewhat a in-between step between like a catholic exorcism and what we're talking about in the divic episode where they're trying to now coax the spirit out it wasn't mm-hmm. quite as Friendly as the Divic episode one, but not quite as confrontational as, like, the Catholic version of it. It's more like explaining that it just simply cannot live here anymore. This is the last thing they have to go someplace else. And then, like, some aggressive incense and stuff like that. Like, look, here's your 30-day notice. You need to leave. There's been complaints. There's a weird smell. Okay, look, you can't be doing this. You can't live here anymore. And there seems to be a bit of a connotation of breaking down the demon during this discussion. Because the the demon is supposed to be in, like, this weakened, malleable state. Mm -hmm. And you're almost threatening to just keep it in this worthless state. (laughs) And it doesn't want to be in that state anymore. It's like... Yeah, it's, it's like someone doesn't want to leave the house. You know, you're trying to evict them. So you just park this truck outside playing horrible music nonstop. You turn the electricity off. You yeah. turn the water off, phones off. So they just can't they have to live in darkness. And it's just like, you just, you just mean so they don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> After you get the demon to agree to leave the body, this is where I think it gets really interesting. Because you don't... In the ritual, in the place you start the ritual. At this whole time, the ritual's been going on in a temple. Now that the demon has agreed that it's willing to leave, you now take it outside the temple. And the thing is, you've got to make sure the demon stays distracted, does not try to escape, and does not change its mind. Want to take a guess? Because you're not going to get it. Wait, like, do they, put, do they also put them in a flask? Nope. Do they put them in a wine box? Dancing girls. 
What? <laughs> okay. As you're transporting the possessed to the place of they're going, we'll get to the place they're going in a bit because it's pretty interesting as well. You have you have like rhythmic music playing and you have dancing girls distracting the demon. So basically they, they make sure that in in view of the possessed person, there's all these beautiful dancing girls doing these rhythmic dances. Basically to keep keep the demon lulled and distracted so it doesn't try to bolt. So you break them down and you can say, hey, you can stay in this like terrible state in this person or you can come to our strip club we have out well, here. Well, then, then, they're, then they're like, okay, okay, I don't want to stay here anymore. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. Watch these dancing girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah this is your reward for yeah. making a, a good decision. <laughs> then they take them to this special, they refer to it as a cave? It did not appear to be a cave to me. It seemed like a specialized abandoned building, but they refer to it as a cave. And this cave is demon jail. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you're keeping them distracted while you're transporting them to demon jail. And once you get them in there, you actually finalize the exorcism. The demon leaves the body, is now trapped in this, like I said, they refer to it as a cave. It looked like a building to me. But it's now trapped in this structure that's only used for housing these demons. This this sounds like, like a 1990s hostage situation. Like, where they just blast terrible music, they drive them out. They drive them They drive them out saying, hey, here's all the stuff we've got for you. And then they just cart them off to jail. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you lock them in, yeah. you close the door, and to finalize the ritual, you then break a coconut. And... I do not 100% understand the symbolism here. It's very important because you find it in like rural exorcists. You find them in formal exorcists. It's just a thing there where you finalize a ritual by breaking a coconut. Yeah, you're trying to figure out the yeah. connection too. My only thought I'm, is like it's to show purity or possibly renewal. But I'm not 100% certain on that. It's like the Indian version of like a gavel, like in a court case where they just drop, they just... They drop the coconut. Yeah, it, it was kind of kind of neat, but they, uh, that that's the act that finalizes the ritual. Wow. Um, one kind of small detail I noticed, and originally I wasn't planning on focusing on India for this discussion. I was wanting to get some interesting stuff from China, Japan, places like that, but I had a hard time getting into some of the formal stuff. I'm assuming mainly language barriers, or I wasn't using the right terms to try to find it. I did eventually find this awesome book on exorcism, but there's no way for me to get a copy. Right. It's just this ancient Taoist text on exorcism. <laughs> but I did pick up a few things from Shinto rites and from some of the Chinese rites. Is that you're often doing this chopping motion um, to help symbolize the severing of um, the demon from the body. And I noticed that a lot in the Hindu rituals as well, where there would be this constant... Uh, the priest would be constantly enacting this chopping motion when they're trying to coax the demon. If you guys are really trying to get a visual, think of like the Atlanta Braves, like tomahawk chop. Like that's what that's what Vic was doing for like a good thirty <laughs> seconds of discussion, that, like discussing this. But I thought that was an interesting kind of cross cultural thing. I China is not that far from India, and so there's probably was travel between there. So you're probably never gonna see some sort of Indian demon possessions thing at a Atlanta Braves baseball game. In theory, no. Because <laughs> you're going to have like 10,000 people just doing the tomahawk chop, chop like in there in the stadium. And maybe there has to be a certain <laughs> degree of intent behind it. Or maybe it just works. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You think that you're curious about the... <sighs> yes. Um, 
when you when you were doing it, who did, did they say if there was like a predominant like type of like type of like a target person like in any of the seasons you possess more often? Is it more women, more men? Okay, a healthy mix. Does it depend? It's, does it's it depend predominantly on the women. It seems that in because in the various things I examined for this, there are men, but it does seem to be predominantly women. Do you ever notice that like that seems to be a popular trend? Amongst exorcism, exorcism accounts, like like even the exorcist story, like the original exorcist story, it wasn't a girl. That's basically the movie. They changed it. It was a boy, and they changed it to a woman for the purposes of that movie. They offered a theory though on that that women are more denigrated in the, especially in the rural societies. I'm not saying that they're not denigrated in the urban societies. It's just more extreme in the mm-hmm. rural societies, and that makes them both um, more spiritually worn down because they don't feel like they have a place of their own. Mm -hmm. And also that um, basically they're more likely to turn to things that might attract like a demonic entity. No, no. And and I ran into the same thing when I was doing like, when I was doing doing my research on African and Middle Eastern uh, possession encounters too, there was predominantly a large amount of women that was targeted uh, buying demons in many of these and that's kind of what the writer in the article that I was reading uh, about this kind of got to was they was they said that there was essentially this it was a result of the dis- they thought that it was a result of the disparities between women in the culture like the like based on socioeconomic status or whatever positions you could have in it and it made you more important more the focus of a situation and things like that interestingly the okay I usually am not too frustrated with the psychological response for possession. We get in people at our work all the time who believe themselves possessed. And many of them I don't believe to be possessed. But I I really did not care for the psychological response by some of the Indian doctors. It's just like, oh, all these women don't have a place in their household. So they're all engaging in attention-seeking behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is some pretty extreme situations for uh, attention-seeking behavior. And in one of the forms of um, of uh, Hindu exorcism involves like, it, it's called burning, but it really isn't generally a bad burn. It's just kind of a very light burn. Uh, and the psychologist is explaining, oh, you see they're engaging in attention-seeking behavior. That's what's going on here. But then once the burning comes out, it's no longer fun. That's why their psychosis stops then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is a very unfulfilling answer. Like Even to me who works in psychology, uh, that seems to be a bit extreme. I, I'm sure that there are people that would do it and that would, that would follow that sort of path. But not in the numbers that we see. Oh, no, 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 no. And I think, too, like, the kind of attention that you would, the the type of disparities that you see in other parts of the world as compared to here are staggeringly more. Like, I I think I'd have a hard time believing that a person here in the United States would feel like such a disparity that they would need to resort to a, a behavior like that. Merely, merely for attention. I'm pretty sure it stopped being fun when you moved into the commune with a whole bunch of shrieking other possessed yeah. people. Because there's no way that that's going to be fun. Like you take it from, like from us when we talk about our patients that are at the hospital. It's not fun. It sucks. Nobody wants to be there. Now I did have another question though about like um, uh, the commune. 
Is this people that are... You said, but you talked about a good jail. Like, are these people at the commune still possessed? Are they just... The, have they been possessed in the past? The people at the commune are people who are currently possessed, waiting to be freed from their possession. Oh, so there's like a waiting list. Um. Yeah, and it seems like... Uh, it didn't seem like they had like this group of exorcists who just lived there and did it. It was just like a place where all these people gather and then like people who are extra traveling exorcists would pass through. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's the sense I got from it. You got to wonder like if they've had to turn away homeless people from there that are just trying to find a place to stay. Mm. Do you think that there would be people that would linger there for that? Probably uh, not. Because these things are out in the wilderness and stuff. I could maybe see it if they were in a big city, but this was like, the, these communes didn't seem like they were like in a metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Basically, from the pictures I saw, they seemed to be like makeshift housing. Some of them looked kind of like villages, but they definitely seemed like they were in like outskirt rural environments. Gotcha. Gotcha. Did you notice, was there, was there any like discrepancies based on like the different parts of the part of India that it was in where the exorcism was going on? Yes. The, um, for example, the exorcism I specifically walked you through, that's one that's performed on a temple in the Ganges. Mm -hmm. Now, when I looked into the ones that occurred in more rural environments, it, it would, it got very less formal and they would often have dueling exorcists where they would have like a group of people who are possessed and then they'll bring in two exorcists simultaneously and they both kind of out exorcism the other yeah more or less they kind of compete at it and i watched one of these competitions and they went very different routes one of them took this very um I, i'm going to read from holy texts and i'm going to channel the energy into them the other one uh was like actually like at almost like a medium channeling the spirits and trying to um talk basically allow him to be a conduit to talk through them it got real informal Real quick. Does the one that win get a trophy? Or get paid? I think he gets more fame and thus has a better name when he travels from okay. village to village. Like, wouldn't, like, healthcare just be so much better if you had, like, dueling doctors that came, that came in? I like, think many doctors would care a lot more. <laughs> like, like I got a headache. Like, one comes in and is like, I will prescribe you the world's greatest anti-headache medication. <laughs> and then the doctor comes in and says, no, I will give you a prescription to go to the world's finest day spa to relax. Like, also, the appearance that of... That sounds awesome. The appearance of them, like, wildly varied. And I know that... I know that India is a place of a lot of... Re, a lot of different aspects of religion. Like, the Hindu religion ha wears many faces. Mm -hmm. But, like, I saw people who were exorcists wearing, like, very nice modern Indian clothing. You know, the kind of... I don't know if it'd be called a tunic, but do you, do you know the the sort of like bright, shiny fabric flowing gown sort yeah, of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were people wearing that. There were people who had these um, weird big necklaces and long, white, scraggly beards and like weird face painting stuff. Well, I think and... a lot of exorcisms, like you, the pomp and circumstance is necessary. I mean, it seems to be like across any culture, the exorcism seems to always have just like this has to be like a larger than life sort of deal. It just did not have a real like <laughs> uniformed idea of what an oh. exorcist should look like. Uh. Oh, um who who Dul oh, Dulson from Street from Street Fighter. One of the guys looked like <laughs> Dulson from Street Fighter, but he had a beard. <laughs> 
like, oh, that's like, awesome. like you, usually when you think about the exorcist in America, you have that image of the Catholic priest, nicely dressed, things along those lines, usually very clear, very clean cut. But no, these guys are in a gambit from being very proper in modern looking to looking like just very um, shamanistic. And it, it was kind of very, very interesting to watch. Oh, wow. Do you want to switch it to mine or do you want to keep talking about yours? No, I think we went over most of the stuff that yeah. I found out, unless you have some questions. No, uh, that covered a lot. Of, if you guys have any questions about like uh, the exorcisms from India that we covered or have any comments on them, please leave some uh, comments on it below, please. Absolutely. So ready to go to mine? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to hear about yeah, this yeah. Middle Eastern okay. exorcism. So, yeah. So I, uh, I started diving into uh, exorcisms from uh, Northern Africa and uh, in the Middle East. And, and it's always been a region of... A folklore that I've always that I've always found fascinating, and I, I found this article from essentially the Iranian Journal of Medicine that they had over there, and it was talking about this guy who was saying that that doc- doctors in the area need to be they need to familiarize themselves with this with this concept so that, that essentially that way that they can treat their patients better, and he just does this in, this fascinating like just total detail of like the differences of like the practices around like Northern Africa and the Middle East. So like over there. You have to understand that, like, in Africa and in the Middle East, there are, like, I think there's, like, 2,000 different languages, like, in Africa alone. And, like, in the Middle East, there's there, there's there's dozens. Wait, how many, how many languages in Africa? I thought, like, 2,000. I couldn't oh, be wrong. Wow. Like, there's tons. There's tons. Like, I, I, know, I know that I could Google search, like, just alone, like, how many languages that, that there are in that Africa. It's insanely linguistically diverse. Yeah. Languages are there. And I'm going to... I'm gonna t- I'm gonna quickly Google search this, just so that you guys can see. Yeah, with more than two thousand distinct languages, Africa is the third is the world's uh, is the third in the world's languages with less than seventh of the world's population. Yeah, and so what you what I found immediately about it was that everybody had a different word for this particular entity that they believe that would possess people out there. But many of the rituals out there were very, very, very similar. So the term that they used out there was was the word czar, Z-A-R. And uh, there's different spellings of it out there, like around, and sometimes they add a syllable to it in different languages. But essentially, it's this malicious spirit out there that they called it like... Um, like a spirit, like a spirit of the winds, like a wind type spirit that's out there that you can run into. That that's neat because, like, do you remember the two animistic spirits that could mm-hmm. possess you, wind and earth? Yeah, and a lot of people out there believe that there are different types of winds and different types of wind spirits that can, that that can blow. There's different types of winds. There's peaceful winds and malevolent winds. Uh, there are faithful winds and infidel winds, and like many of these infidel winds carry these uh, malicious czar spirits that'll that'll start possessing people. What the heck's an infidel wind? Man, it's infidel wind. Like it's the wind that it's like whenever I guess like if you if you have like a Christian camp over here and they like the wind blows over it, that becomes the infidel wind and it just carries their heresy across the desert. I guess. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Yeah. You so that's what invoked. they call. Yeah, that's what they, that's what it translates to, and based on the region of where you are they they target different populations but again probably not predominantly what you would see is you would see these czar spirits possessing women and they would start manifesting symptoms like 
headaches, lethargy, apathy, um, anxiety, hysteria, and one that popped up frequently, infertility, which in a lot of African and Middle Eastern cultures, they put it, they put all infertility on women. Men can't be infertile in other cultures. No, 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 no. It's never the men's fault. It's always the women's fault. And if they're infertile, then uh, it's probably, it's quite possibly due to some sort of supernatural force that's causing this. Um, and, and, and like in Nubian cultures, like along the, uh, along the now like modern day Egypt and stuff like that, uh, they, uh, a lot of the people there believe that malicious spirits inhabit rooms and houses that uh, people are not in. So they just kind of have a party at your house when you're not there. And they often get attracted to people that are very aggressive or angry. And that's what will attract these spirits to you. And then a person that becomes possessed by these things, what will happen next is they have to go out and find kind of like what you were talking about when you called it a commune. But they call it a cult. Like there are these things called czar cults. And there's a specific czar priest, czar priestess, depending upon the culture that you have, that's like the head one. And they go to this person and they, you know, they say, look, I think I've been, you know, they believe that they go, I'm possessed. I have these problems. And the czar priest essentially, like in a lot of Catholic exorcisms, they have to like try to like weed out if there's any sort of medical complication, like medical reasons about why this may be the case. And I think that there's a genuine possession. Then what they do is, uh, the the big difference between a like uh, an African like like and Middle Eastern yeah, that's possession. Story. Question. Yeah. So you said they have to go out and find these czar cults. Are they dangerous? The czar cults? No. Like I've never had anything bad happening to anybody that goes that that goes out to these things. Like they, I think more in Africa they're more acceptable. Like in the Middle East they tend to be more frowned upon, and they're and they're way more out in rural communities. Out there in the Middle East than they are in Africa. Like I know, like a lot of Africans like roll like anyway, but like um, it's even more accepted. Like I think like in urban settings, and so the big difference there is whenever the, the person would like successfully exercise something, you don't get rid of it. It lives within you always. You've just appeased it, or you make it docile to the point where it doesn't cause any problems. So is this really a X? Ursism. Or more more like a tranquilization. Tranquil they tranquilize it. Okay, I was gonna say I don't know if this would even this would probably be an exorcism. Okay. But that's still really fascinating because a mm. lot of these a lot of the variant forms of exorcism, and by that I mean the non Catholic forms of exorcism, have this very soothing focus to it. There's a certain point where you need to placate it to a degree. Oh yeah. And you and you see this in there too. So if you go to the to the czar priest the czar priestess that they have out there and they think that there's a genuine uh, that you're there's a genuine possession story what they'll do is there's this period of separation where the person comes into the the person will come into their home and they'll keep them separated from their family for like five to seven days and similar to what you were talking about like in india where the priest would wash themselves but over here they wash the person they wash the person, they cleanse the person over two days, they put on these specific white robes that they give them, they burn incense, they burn these aromatic herbs while they're there as well, and... Are there any forms of exorcism you found that did not involve a degree of uh, burning incense or something along those lines? No, I think that, I think that, that it's a, I think that's a cross-cultural thing. That is extremely cross-cultural, because I can't, I, it's, it exists in Aboriginal, American Indian, um... European, African, and it just seems to be 
That is an idea that is extremely pronounced. I have a theory beyond this, but I'm going to get to that here in a second. And then what they do is they call every other member of the cult who's ever been successfully exercised, air quotes, and they all congregate at the house or the plantation or whatever it is of the czar priestess to do the ceremony. Wait, so if you ever have one of these done to you, you're always on call? Yes. Yeah, you are permanently on call forever as a member of the cult, and it's part of it, or otherwise they won't uh, they won't uh, do the exorcism. Is this uh, is this something like proving to the uh, demon that the cult has power over them? I think it has something to do with to see how serious the person is. Okay. Like if I had to prove, like honestly, to see how committed the person, if, if I like, see, I think how committed they are to the cause. But also deep down, I also think this has something to do with continuing the power, probably of the social standing of the priest because otherwise would you show back up probably not like if it, even when, if you went to, to your doctor and you could say i could cure your cold but in order to do this you have to come back every time i cure anybody else's cold i'll live with the cold yeah well, well <laughs> like I, I i but they were the but you felt this was the only person they could get rid of your cold like i think that that's part of why they would do that oh i still think i might just live with it I mean, it's just a cold it sucks but yeah so they call all of these these possessed people that have been possessed before, and they all call them to the house, and they do a ceremony, and essentially it's kind of a tailgating party that lasts for like three to seven days, another three to seven days, and they kind of tailgate for a while at the house of this person, and they do uh, a ritual where what they do is they play a different series of uh, notes and music trying to coax the 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 czar out of the person and to, to, to essentially cause them to rise up and take over so that they could talk to it and they believe that each type of czar comes from a t- particular family a particular lineage and they are all correspond to a particular set of music huh yes do they believe that they still have a like a demonic tradition like a actual like that these things are actual demons in yeah, the sort in, of western in the vast, sense in the vast majority of them yes okay and in, except in Ethiopia which is which is different there's a slight twist in Ethiopia they believed that uh, Adam and Eve had 30 children and then Eve took her 15 most beautiful children and went man I don't want like God and his angels to be envious of how beautiful my kids are so I'm going to hide them in the place that they'll never look for them. And they hid them in the Garden of Eden. I thought they were kicked out of there. I, apparently apparently she knew a back door. And she tries to hide them in the Garden of Eden. And then God, of course, catches her because this is like the worst place to hide them from him. Uh, and then as a curse, he curses the 15 children to be invisible. And that they can't be seen. And all moderns are are descendants of these invisible, beautiful ghost children of Adam and Eve. And all of humanity is now is descended of the other 15 children. So you're technically being possessed by like your 38,000th cousin twice 40th removed. That is a really interesting story. I I don't think there's any place. Like, the idea of hiding something from God is a little unique. Yeah. Um, so question though. So yeah. does this come from the Gnostic tradition or do you know? I do not know. I would almost guess that this is this is has a, a degree of Gnostic influence what, in it. What I loved about it is that, um, like, even though they, every different culture had like different names for all of these things, the ritual was always the same. 
like once they once they find the correct music that coaxes it out, then the the spirit comes alive. And they kind of do similar thing like we that we that we had in Dybbuk boxes where they start bargaining with the demon and the with the czar. They're like, "What do you want?" And then the czar gives a list of demands. And if they can they can placate it, they'll do it right then and there. They'll give it whatever it wants. And if they can't, then they come back for another tailgating party a couple days later. Wait, so do you have any examples of what sort of demands they made? Oh, yeah. So many... So, okay, so in the, in the, in the article that I was reading, he he was talking about how, like, predominantly women seem to be the target of many of these czars and why he thought that it was a a reflection of them being frustrated in, 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 in their, like, lower status of society in many of the cultures because many of the demands that they were finding were things like nicer clothes, jewelry, animal sacrifices, um, more children, like just for the woman. Like they were finding like, yeah, they, like these were large, like a, a, a giant proportion of the many of the things that they were asking for. Now that's to be said that too, that other things weren't being asked for too. Like uh, in Iran, there was a, like in a cult, like along the coast where they get it, you see a lot more fishermen that tend to that tend to be the targets of these there, uh, and again they would get things like animal sacrifices, um, food. You would you would see similar things like that that they want that they wanted for themselves. Did the I'm assuming this was from a psychological report or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What justification do you get for the desire of animal sacrifices? Uh, cultural as a cultural thing. Okay, because it's a power symbol. It's a power symbol. I think to to him, I think that's what he thought a lot of it was. Because you know, they again in many of these cultures, you know, women can't be in positions of authority. They're not heads of the households in many of these places. So many of these things are like offerings, you know, to them. So that's what he was saying. Now, also too, if you're coming from the believe this is a real thing, then you know. The demon just wants to be appeased, and throughout you know a lot of history, a lot of the, you know these elder beings are wanting these things. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, so once, so like also too something I noticed if the if they had to come back later, as a way in order to appease these things, um, they would tie a white band around the arm of the person as a pledge that they were going to actually fulfill the czar's request. And then they would come back and they would they would do it again. And once they did, this would lull the demon into sleep, submission. Yeah. So that way that the person could go back about their normal business. It would cure their ailments. It would cure their infertility and things like that. And then that way they would they, that way they could go back to living their normal lives. But always having to come back for you know the next exorcism that they had to do. Huh. Mm-hmm. How many times like did they? Did you get a sense of how many times generally one has to do this to actually uh, there's some lull cult- the demon? There, there's some cultures in Northern Africa that they had to do it every year. That it was like a thing that they had to do every single year as a way to appease the uh, to appease the czar. Huh. So it's not like something that you actually really fix. No. No. In their culture, definitely, once you've been possessed by one of these things, you've just been possessed by them. And it's an ongoing battle with them that you always have that you always have to do. It's just it's in there. It's, it's done. In there. You're not you're getting not, it you're out. not getting away. It's like an STD. It's it's stuck. It's stuck there. Is this something that can be like passed on to your descendants or no. no? Okay. It seems like once the person dies, it just kind of goes away, and, or it sort of like leaves this body, and then it just goes on to find a different type of host. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
and it was it was very interesting to see the similarities like with the music like you were talking about like the decision mm-hmm. in India the, the same thing when we were talking about divic boxes this uh this bartering system that that seems to be common also within divics too and it, it was just it was so interesting to just see these cross-cultural similarities amongst all of these different types of uh possession accounts that we've talked about is there anything like a focus of receiving the entity's name i think i think they weren't trying to find the entity's name for them they were trying to find the specific type of music because that determined the family i think like the type of what it was i think too also it was a way for them to signal that this was a true possession at the same time because it's kind of like in a Catholic exorcism that, you know, part of a, I believe this is that you have to have a knowledge of, of the unknown. You have yeah. to have a knowledge of something you don't know. So to them, like, what type of music, like, only only as are we know that this is the music they need to respond to, I guess. Are there any interesting distinctions between the types of czar? Um, I didn't really get it. They didn't really go into too much detail on the different types of czars that that she would that she would see i didn't get it just seemed to be that the similarities were just in the rituals huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so man this is definitely so i mean we've done three episodes so far over possession stories like what's what's your takeaway from a lot of this they are similar in ways that i did not see coming mm-hmm. like there are there's so many aspects that are shared between different cultures that probably shouldn't, it shouldn't be this standardized. Mm-mm. Like that's, that's one of the things that really blows my mind. Something that I saw was just the level of trauma that this seems to leave on a person when they genuinely believe that they've possessed and lost control of their body and the lingering trauma that goes that that goes with it, you know, like especially like when it comes to like every exorcism story that you ever hear, it always ends right after the demon's been exorcised, right? Yeah, and that's when the story ends. But we all know that that's not when the the story doesn't end there. They never do. Like the person continues; they live on. Their story goes on. And when you've had a traumatic experience, me and me, me and Vic can tell you it lingers with you. And I think that translated a little bit, definitely into when I was re- looking into Middle Eastern and and African exorcism stories, because I think part of that, they've realized that when you've had something happen like that, it's not going to go away. And you have to continue to appease it. You have to continue to do something. It's that, it's that ongoing care. And that was the first time that I had really seen something like that in any story about it, exorcisms. And I was kind of happy to see that there because I think that's an important part, especially with any kind of traumatic event that you have is you, it's that, that ongoing self-care that, that has to come from it. It almost gave it a legitimacy, more legitimacy for me. I'm really glad that so many various exorcists uh, and various exorcism rites acknowledge the idea that you don't want this thing just now wandering off because mm-hmm. I had previously mainly been exposed to the Catholic form of exorcism where you just kind of drive it out. But like so many of these are concerned with, okay, now that it's out, we need a way to 
deal with it. <laughs> well, in Catholic exorcisms, they, they just go back to hell. <laughs> well, they got out once. Yeah, I mean, they just, they got out, you know, they assume that they're going to go down, that they're not going to get back again. My favorite guess, is spirit know. jail. You <laughs> take them to the quote-unquote cave, and they just lock them in. They're done. <laughs> Well, you know, no, no, I like the dynamics where they sucked them into the flask, and then when people are like, what'd you do with the flask? We're like, I'm not telling you what we did with the flask. Like, why would I Why would I tell you where these things are? That makes absolutely no sense. Why Why do you want to know? That's why divot boxes are being sold all over YouTube, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Okay, we're 55 minutes in, and do you have more to talk about? <laughs> no, not, not really. I think it's been, it's been a ride talking all, all October on possessions and exorcisms. I hope you guys have been enjoying this talk that we've had. Oh, yeah, no, this has been an interesting subject. I'm looking forward to our next episode, though, too. Absolutely. Um, if you guys uh, don't know, we're doing a poll right now. Excuse me, sorry. We're doing a poll right now up on our Patreon uh, where our patrons who are the closed source member or higher uh, can vote on the theme of next month's uh, of we really, next content. We really should have mentioned that at the beginning Probably of the episode. Probably should have done that at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, though. But um, anybody that's gotten it this long probably is a fan, so that's fine. Uh, so the themes for next month is going to be Bigfoot, Ghosts, Immortals. Yep. And did I say UFOs? I don't think so. And UFOs. And it'll work very similar to how this month went, where... We're talking on the subject of demons, but it'll end with a very specific sort of case file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely. Um, so if you guys are patrons, uh, make sure that you guys go over and vote. Now remember, this is for close sorts. This is for the $2 and up um, for people uh, if you want to vote on this. Now, if you guys still are patrons, it's absolutely fine. We, we're going to post another patron video not too much longer for you guys. We've selected a pretty cool thing. Um, Do we want to go and tell them or leave it a surprise? Uh, we're going to leave it a surprise. It's going to be okay. a monster. We'll give you a hint. That's gonna be that's gonna go up and that's gonna be available to um, all of our patrons uh, for you guys to be able to see. Um, definitely check out next week, guys. Uh, well, actually, it's gonna be not even next week. It's gonna be we're gonna record this tomorrow, so it's gonna yeah. go up as quickly as we can. Because uh, I know we're running a couple days late on this episode, we're gonna have Ricardo Bruckman back uh, from Mount Vernon Paranormal, and we're gonna be talking about uh, demonology. Uh, he's a certified demonologist, and we're gonna be talking all about his beliefs on that. We're gonna talk about the concept. We're gonna talk about Hopefully some of the cases that he's had involving some stuff like that. So definitely uh, you want to check out our interview as soon as we get it up. And we'll put it up as fast as we can. I'm hoping we get like a really detailed perspective on the differences between possession and oppression. Have you ever like heard Ricky not to go on in detail about anything? That's fair. That's that's I uh, <laughs> we're definitely going to be covering a lot of these different types of things. And and Ricky's a fun guy. If you haven't had a chance to catch him, uh, he we he was on for our third episode of our podcast. Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys, I think that's so much fun. Definitely leave your guys's uh, thoughts about today's episode below. If your guys' thoughts on the Indian exorcisms, uh, the Czar, and the exorcisms in the Middle East and Africa, um, definitely, definitely put your guys' thoughts below. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Okay, so I know that you said that you've ran through pretty much all your content, but I actually still have a little more. Do you want us to just spill that over into the patron part? Yeah, we can We can do that. We can keep talking about this. So and then guys... we can talk about the, the what we prep for today at the end of the next episode, because I think it's content that would be really good to go over with yeah. uh, Ricky anyways. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think he'd be definitely a good person to talk to uh, about some of that stuff. 
But guys, we're going to move into our Pillow Talk segment now. This is the first time you guys are catching this episode, um, or our podcast, I mean. The Pillow Talk segment is where we talk a little bit more uh, about something in the paranormal. Uh, for our people that are patrons, we give you guys a little bit. And then the music trails off. And if you want to catch the rest of this podcast, all you have to do is go over to our Patreon and sign up to get the full edition uh, of all of our uh, podcast episodes as well as a bunch of other videos that we put up just for our patrons. So, what more do you want to talk about? Okay. When I was doing this research, I also went down the route of what is a demon, where does the word come from, and what is it meant over the years? So, describe to me, describe to me a demon. Uh, I mean, oh, a demon is a fallen angel from heaven uh, that was cast out and was tormented and is now an evil demon that comes up to torment humanity. And, like, what would a de- What might a demon look like? Um, I believe they are red-skinned, scaly. They probably have hooves. They might have a pitchfork. Maybe wings. Sharp teeth. Yeah, yeah you, you pretty much hit the mark. That's the guy I was good. No, I, I think most people's explanation of demon is always going to be from the context of however they grew up with the paranormal, like with the paranormal, like people answer stuff in the paranormal with like this, this toolbox of whatever they grew up with. So if you grew up like me, kind of like in a, originally like in a Judeo Christian household, or, you know, in a Catholic household, everything, the paranormal is demons. Well, the, the concept of a demon and the root of the word demon definitely has come a long way over the years. It did not initially mean quite that. Mm-hmm. Okay. The original word that we subscribe to the root of demon is daimon. And it was a Greco-Roman word. Daimon? Daimon. Daimon. Yeah. Daimon. Daimon. I believe I'm saying it correct. Okay. Okay. Plato wrote about them. Many Grecian philosophers wrote about them. It wasn't even originally assigned to the Abrahamic religions. Um, the original use of the word is basically anything between human and God. All the things that...